Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. I was just going to say, can we dim the lights? That was awesome. Sweet. Oh, man. Guys, it's really great to be with you. It's been a good weekend so far? Yeah? yeah? It does sound like it. It's been a good weekend? Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. That's what I like to hear. Um, there's, a, there's always a real danger for me, given a microphone and a chance to just talk about Jesus and Mary. Because I, I just could talk about our mother for uh, hours, 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 hours. I wouldn't be a priest without Mary. I wouldn't, no, I, I don't know where I'd be without Mary. So um, if this weekend so far you felt like uh, you haven't really had a connection to her yet, that's okay. That's really okay. Um, just give it time. Like she's, she's desiring you more than you're probably desiring her. I guarantee you that. So um, I want to start with this. So I turned 33 this, this past year, this past birthday, I turned 33, which means this is my Jesus year, which I hope to not get crucified this year. So, because um, that's what everyone Jesus got, 33, he was crucified. What's that? I know, I'm like, like looking for Romans, right? I'm like, is someone going to betray me at dinner? Anyway, all right. But yeah, I, I've always loved my birthday. Things, but I've like I really thought that my birthday was like really cool. So I was born November 29th, 1988. Um, and uh, the reason I think my birthday is really cool, I've always loved my birthday because I was born on my parents' third wedding anniversary. You can clap for that. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Rick and Michelle Schultz, they'll be uh, so they'll be 37 years married this year, which is pretty awesome. So I was born at my parents' third wedding anniversary, and I've always thought that that's like, there's something cool about that. Like, what are the odds of that, right? Well, you know what the odds of that. Like, 1 out of 365, right? It's pretty awesome, though, right? It's pretty awesome. I've always, like, kind of growing up, I've had this sense that, like, I, like, yeah, I don't know. It just it felt special. Like, my parents had two years of them, and then, like, I show up, I'm the greatest gift I've ever had. Like, you're welcome, Mom and Dad. I was, uh, I was born, uh, I was a C-section baby. Who else was a C-section baby? C-section babies? Let's hear it up for our C-section babies. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You usually can tell C-section babies we got the rounder heads. We've got, you, yeah, you can tell. You look good right there. Yeah. So, uh, which means as a C-section baby, it's kind of a weird thing to think about, but like, it means that like my mom's body, my mom's body has a scar in it. Like, her body has a scar, right, where the surgeons opened her up and yanked me out, right? They, the doctors say I was, like, really stuck in there. So they had to use this vacuum on my head. They're like, they pulled me out with, like, a vacuum. I don't know. I mean, I guess I was, I was about to say I wasn't there. I don't remember. But I was definitely there, right? But I don't remember. Thank God, right? So um, anyway, the, uh, my mom's body has a scar. Everyone who's, you know, C-section babies, your mom's body has a scar, which is pretty amazing. Can we just, this is like a real hot mic. Whoever's back there, can we, someone just bring this down for me a little bit? Somebody? Anybody? Hey, thanks, Joe. Give it up for Joe Doman, everybody. So I remember this, this like weird thing growing up that my mom, 
It disappeared. There you go. My mom would, like if I ever got hurt, like if I fell, like I have this scar on my elbow. I was riding my neighbor's scooter down, his like razor scooter down the driveway and the scooter hit a rock and I like went flying for it and my just elbow just, just ate it. There was just blood everywhere. I come inside like, ah, ah, right, I'm showing it to her. And uh, like anytime I got really hurt, my mom would do like, she would say that she felt pain. She would feel this twinge of pain. I know it sounds weird and I think it's kind of weird. I thought it was weird growing up, but she said she would feel pain in that scar. I mean, I have no reason to think that she's lying. I don't think that she's crazy. Like, I think she's telling the truth that there's something amazing about the fact that like my mom felt my pain at the very place where like she sacrificed her body to bring me into the world. There's amazing, like amazing connections between mothers and children. Like I've had all these different moments throughout my life where um, like that same experience has played out over and over again. Like, and even weirder ways where like, you know, I'd be at the seminary having like a really tough day, going through some very deep, tough stuff, discernment stuff. I want to leave. I hate my life. I don't know if God's real kind of stuff. You go through that stuff. And my mom, I'd be like talking to my mom later in the day and she like, I, I like, I felt that. Like, what do you mean you felt that? She's like, I don't know how to explain it. I just knew that. I knew you're in pain. I just knew you're in pain. Like there's this crazy connection between mothers and their children. A crazy connection. I mean, Physiologically, psychologically, neurologically, there's amazing connections. Like right when you're born, for the first couple months of your life as a baby, you don't know that you're a separate entity from your mom. Like you think you're just a continuation, she's just a continuation of you. Developmental psychologists, they they say that we come to understand that we are a separate being because of our mother's face looking at us and delighting in us. They call it engrossment. Or you ever see like a mom with a newborn baby like, they just like stare and smile and look and like all those hours of feeding and nursing, all of that time face to face. It's discovering that like I exist because someone is delighting in me, looking at me. My mom sees me. Like that's amazing, right? We have in our brains this, this amazing thing called mirror neurons where like we, 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 it's like the basis of empathy that we see pain in other people, we see experience in other people and it's mirrored in our own body. Like the, the connections go even deeper. I don't know if you know this. This is amazing. I learned this a few years ago. That every, every child that a mother conceives, every child that a mother conceives, that baby's, like, there's DNA and cells that, like, fetal cells that, that basically circulate throughout the, enti- the mother's entire body. Like, all throughout the course of pregnancy. Like, your cells are in your mom's body still. And here's what's crazy. After you're born... The cells, they kind of settle and they cluster in one specific part in her body. Just, I'll give you one guess. Take one guess. Where do you think the cells settle? The heart. The heart. Like, which means that, like, your cells, your mom, like, our moms literally carry us for the rest of their lives in their hearts, which is like, I don't know, there's something about that that explains that connection of like how my mom knew that I was in pain, like all of that stuff. You know, I was thinking about all of this in light of Mary, in light of this retreat, thinking about, thinking about the fact that in her immaculate womb, God takes up flesh, right? The, the omnipotent God who like made the rings of Saturn, who banged out the Big Bang, the God who said, let there be light and there's light. That God empties himself, pours himself out into the virginal womb of Mary, He 
decides to need his creature. He puts himself in her womb. She gives flesh to God. She gives flesh to God. Right? So like Mary looks upon Jesus and has the same experience of awe and wonder that Adam did in that first story of creation. Right? Adam wakes up. And he sees Eve for the first time. Eve, who was made from the side of Adam, he looks at her, and Adam cries out, This one at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Eve looks at, or Mary looks at Jesus, and she's whispering in awe the same thing. This one is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I mean, I, like, what do you think it meant to Mary all throughout Jesus' childhood as people saw him, and they would say, He looks just like you. Like, he's got your eyes. He's got your chin. Like, before Jesus ever said at the Last Supper, this is my body given for you, like, he learned those words from his mother, who at the Annunciation, she said to God, this is my body given for you, who in her pregnancy, carrying Jesus in her womb, creating space for him, this is my body given for you. Every day, nursing him, like, this is my body given for you. She's pouring herself out. She's giving herself away. This is my body given for you. All throughout his childhood, like attending to his scraped knees, this is my body given for you. All throughout his life, this is my body given for you. It's amazing. Bone of my bone. She could literally say, this is, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And after he was born, after he's born, 40 days after he's born, Mary and Joseph, it's his feast day, by the way, Mary and Joseph, they take Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord, according to the custom of the law of Moses, right? God said to the Moses that you shall redeem every firstborn with a sacrifice, a pair of turtle doves, a pair of pigeons. You shall redeem them because the firstborn in Egypt didn't make it out except for the blood of the lamb to save them, right? So they took Jesus to the temple. It's a really crazy scene. You know what? If you pray the rosary, the, the, the presentation of the Lord. I mean, just picture this. You've got this young mom this young dad and this infant, they're coming into the temple just like everybody else, walking up these steps into the temple area. And there's this guy there named Simeon, right? This old guy who the Lord says, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and says, you will see the Christ of God before you taste death. Simeon, filled with the Holy Spirit, just approaches them. I can't, like, I, I have prayed with this scene so many times. I just can't picture how it actually unfolds without it being so creepy and weird. Old guy just comes up to them and takes the baby, just give me it. I don't know, like, she's like, eh. I don't know. He probably wasn't that weird. But like, he like, oh, just, just takes the baby, right? And they're like, what is going on? And I think Mary's probably like, I don't know, we probably should get used to this, Joe. Just weird things, right? Like, <laughs> we should just get used to weird things, right? So there's Simeon. Simeon says, Lord, now you can let your servant go in peace. I've seen the salvation of Israel. I've seen the Savior. I've seen him. And he looks at Mary and he says, and as for you, he looks at her, as for you, imagine this, brand new mom, knowing she's got the son of God, the son of God in flesh. He says, as for you, your own heart, a sword will pierce. The word that Simeon uses, when we picture a sword, we picture like a, I don't know, like, like a regular sword. That's not the word he uses. He uses the word romphi in Greek, romphi. Romphi is a very specific sword. It's the sword held by executioners. This massive blade, massive. He's saying your heart will be cloven in two. It will be split in two. Your heart's going to be executed. Your heart will be pierced. 
According to church tradition, church teaching, like Mary at the, at the, at the nativity, because she was preserved from the stain of original sin, Mary at the nativity, she was preserved from the pains of childbirth. But her church also teaches that those same pains that she was preserved from at the very beginning, she experienced all the more in the passion. Her heart, a sword, shall pierce. She was executed as he was executed, looking at him, seeing, that is my body, Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, that is my body, given for you. She's looking at the crowd. That is my body, given for you. And the pain that she was preserved from the beginning, she's experiencing all the more at the cross. See, because like Christ lying in the manger at the very beginning, that's what Jesus looked like when Mary gave him to humanity. Swaddled, perfect, innocent, Jesus at Golgotha is what he looks like when humanity gives him back to Mary. Bloodied, broken, wounded, destroyed. You ask the question, what intervened between these two? And it's our sin, y'all. It's our sin. That's what happens. Tonight, as part of like where the Spirit's leading us throughout this retreat tonight, we're being invited to be with her at the foot of the cross, which is simultaneously the most beautiful place and the most ugly place. It's the place of God's, like, like the greatest eclipse of glory and the greatest revelation of glory. In John's Gospel, he talks about, Jesus talks about his hour, his hour of glory. When the full glory of God will be revealed and manifested. It's not in the transfiguration. It's not at the Last Supper. It's not when he's walking on water. The hour of Jesus' glory, when he's fully manifested as God in the flesh, it's when he's on the cross, completely being destroyed. Like the same, like the same movie, The Passion of the Christ, it's simultaneously like the most gruesome, horrible, painful movie, and at the same time the most beautiful, because it's this, it's the visualization, it's the icon of love and beauty incarnate. It's what love looks like. It's so hard to draw near to death. It's so hard to draw near to death. We're being invited tonight to be with her at that cross, to be with her. You're like, I mean, the average person will very rarely, if only for just a few different moments of life, experience someone's death and dying. Just like by way of hands, who's, who's been at the bedside of someone as they're dying? Who's actually been there like when they died? Anybody? You know, you know, it's, it, is, it is a, it is so tough. And, but those of you who've been there, you also know, it's also like strangely so, it's weird to say it, but it's also so beautiful. It's like we talk about these very thin places where like the, the veil between like heaven and earth, it's usually like, like a very opaque thing, but there's moments where like the veil is very thin and like see-through. Death and dying, hospice, hospital beds, it, that's one of those places. Like as a priest, you get, you get real familiar with death and dying real quick. You get called to the bedside of the dying. You have to draw near to, the, to dying. And death, death, has, death has a smell. Death has a sound and it's not beautiful. It's very painful. 
It's hard, it's hard to draw close. Like I've been a priest for six years now in May. It's still hard. Just the other day, I was anointing a guy who uh, I did his funeral. It's so hard to listen to someone suffocating. Like just gasping for air. And that's Jesus on the cross. Like crucifixion didn't kill you by exsanguination. You didn't bleed out. Crucifixion kills you by suffocating you. Because you just can't raise yourself up anymore to breathe. It's horrible. Like our word excruciating comes from excruciate, meaning from the cross. Like the worst pain imaginable is from the cross. And that's where we're invited to go. I want to invite you right now, if I could just, just close your eyes for a second. I just want you to, in your imagination, which is not fantasy, it's, it's the faculty of our soul that God has given us to be the place where he can communicate to us. In your imagination, I want you to place yourself at the foot of the cross. I want to say a word about that cross because in all of our movies, in all of our art, we, we see the cross depicted as this massive looming thing high up in the air, Jesus way up there. That's, that's not what the cross looked like. Historically speaking, the cross was probably about six feet off the ground, the vertical bar. Because the Romans, they wanted the victims pinned to the cross to be low enough to the ground so vermin and rodents and things could have easier access to them. Which means that the victim on the cross was eye to eye with those who were standing on the ground. See yourself there. It's an empty hill. It's quiet. But you can hear the gasp, the rattle of his breath. The soldiers have gone the bystanders have gone, the onlookers have gone, the jeering crowd is gone. It's just you and that dying man's mom. And she wants you there at her side. And I think for a lot of us, the idea, like the idea of being with the dying is hard enough, let alone being with the mother of the one who is dying, knowing that, that your life, your faults, your failures, what you did, what you failed to do, all of that contributed to his dying. And right now, I just want you to see her eyes meeting yours. Those eyes of hers that haven't slept in days. Eyes that seem like they've run out of tears. Her cheeks stained with her tears. Eyes piercing you. And like her look, her eyes communicate. They look to you, they're not communicating hatred or like a desire for vengeance. She's not looking at you as like, the mother of the murder victim looking at her son's murderer. She's not looking at you like that. She's not looking at you with anger as if to say, you did this to him. That's not her heart. She looks at you with like a desperate longing. She looks at you as if to say like, please receive what is pouring out of his heart. Please receive his gift. Please don't refuse him entry. Open to him. Open to him. I do not cheapen his gift. I invite you to open your eyes. Like those words, Pope Benedict said, there's, there's that scene in the gospel where Jesus is, is talking to that deaf man, that mute man, 
And it's, it's a very bizarre scene. It's where he's like spits on the ground. He takes his finger, touches the guy's tongue, puts his finger in the ears. Remember this scene? Like, what is he doing? That's so not COVID friendly. But he does all these things. And then it says he groans and says, Ephatha. There's only a few moments in the scriptures where the scripture writers preserve the original Aramaic. That's one place. And they translate. They said, that is be opened. Be opened. Like Pope Benedict, he said that you can sum up Jesus' entire mission, his entire gospel, his entire heart in that single word. He came to beg of the heart of the bride, be opened. Like, I don't know if you've gotten into this, but like, it's not a coincidence that on this retreat that has to do with Mary, we've got a, a chupa here, right? Like this, this wedding canopy, we just had a wedding ceremony. Oh, we did. We didn't have a wedding ceremony. We, what, what? we had a wedding reception. You could have braided Marcus's chest hair. That was really something. David liked that one. <laughs> it's not a coincidence, though. It's not like that's random. No, like the heart of the gospel is the incredible proposal from God's heart. I want to fill your heart with life. I want to be united to you in a way that you can barely fathom or imagine. I'm so interested in your heart. Will you let me in? Will you let me in? That's the only, that's the only thing he's interested in. That's the only thing he's interested in. At the center of the gospel, the center of the Bible is the Song of Songs where you hear the bridegroom, who is Jesus. He says, he's knocking in the night. He's saying, open to me, open to me. Or when Jesus comes to Bethany and Lazarus has been dead in the tomb for days, his body is rotting in the tomb. And he looks at Martha and Mary and he says, remove the stone. And they said, there's going to be a stench in there. He says, I, I don't care, remove the stone. He, like Jesus wants to get in to the place where there's death, where there's decay, where there's isolation and sadness and sorrow. Like he's looking at you and me tonight, looking at your heart saying, I'm only interested in your heart. Like, do you get that? Like, this is the gospel. You matter to him. Your heart matters to him. Your heart, with all the crap in it, with all the things that you've done, all the things that you failed to do, all the things that you're so embarrassed about and ashamed about, all that stuff that you keep in, he knows your heart. He's saying, I want in. Open to me. And Mary at the foot of the cross is saying, please, please receive his gift. She's saying, I don't want to be the only one. Like, that's how she is the Immaculate Queen. That's why she is the Virgin Most Blessed, because she, more than anybody, perfectly opened herself. You know what happened when she did? She wasn't destroyed. She was filled with life and beauty. She carried life, mercy, glory, beauty in her womb. Remember the Old Testament when Moses sees the burning bush? He says, I gotta see this thing up close because I've never seen anything like this. It's a bush that's burning, but not consumed, not burnt up. Mary is the burning bush of the New Testament. She's burning, she's filled with God's glory, but not consumed. He's begging you, Mary's begging you from the foot of the cross. All she's saying is the same thing. I don't wanna be the only one. You know, when Jesus gives that parable, he says, a sower goes out to sow seeds. And he throws, he's throwing seed everywhere because he's reckless. He's not calculated. He's not careful. He's like one seed here and one seed here. Which is what you and I would do if we were that sower because seeds in the ancient world were scarce. They were a rich commodity. But here's this guy. He's just like, just having a palm, just throwing these seeds everywhere. And three-fourths of the time, you know what happens to that seed? It falls on crappy soil. It falls on the path. 
where the birds eat it. It falls among thorns. It falls on shallow soil. But then, then you can see Jesus, like, you can see him, like, picturing his mom in his mind. And with, like, such love, he goes, but some seed falls on rich soil. And it bears an abundant harvest. Like, she's, she's begging you. She's like, please be the place. Please be rich soil for my son. Like at the cross, Mary is the mother of mercy. It's who she is. We get mercy wrong so often. We think mercy, like, like when I was younger, I have one younger brother. I used to torture him because I'm an older brother. We used to wrestle and we'd play this game where like, he's six years younger, so he was never going to win. But like, I would like put him into a pretzel and like have his arm like it's about to snap out of its socket. And he would, the game was, he would like how long he could last until he goes, mercy! Which is like sick. <laughs> kind of messed up. Scott, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. So, I explain things. <laughs> so, but uh, like that's not mercy. That's not mercy. Mercy's not God like, deciding to withhold a punishment that we rightly deserve. Mercy is, mercy is the, the unfathomable delight that God has for drawing near to pain. Mercy is what flowed, it's literally what flowed out of Jesus' heart as he hung on the cross, as his heart was pierced. John, who was at the foot of the cross with Mary, John says, the soldier comes to make sure that he's dead. They pierce his heart with the lance and immediately flows out blood and water. I have a friend who's a heart surgeon. He's an amazing disciple. He was telling me, he's like, you know what that is, right? He's like, that's, that's the piercing of the pericardium. The pericardium is this sort of water fluid filled sac that the heart kind of sits in. It's, this, is what, this is the language he used. So the pericardium is the heart's Last line of defense. And so Jesus was like, yeah. Like, I'm totally defenseless. I'm holding back nothing. Like, he lets all of the horror of humanity, he lets all of our brokenness, he lets all of our ugliness, all of our shame, he lets all of that pierce him. Because he's the totally vulnerable one. Jesus is the vulnerability of God. We've talked about vulnerability, I'm sure. Like, Jesus is the vulnerability of God. He's, he is the proof that God's saying, I'm willing to be wounded. Like, lying, there's really no difference between the manger and the cross. The manger is what the cross looks like, but in seed form. This, the manger grows into the cross. Like, Jesus comes and he's saying, I am holding back nothing. He bleeds in the beginning. He bleeds in the end. Like, we think of his wounds as being inflicted upon him. I think the better image is like, it's as if, like, all of that love couldn't be contained anymore. It's as if he just, it's like bursting out of him, exploding out of him. That's what's flowing out of his heart, is mercy. You hear in the, the prophets, you hear in the book of Revelation, this river that flows from the side of the temple. Ezekiel sees this incredible river that flows from the right side of the temple. And everywhere it goes, it brings life and healing and mercy and beauty. Book of Revelation, the river flows from the temple, bringing life. And the trees that grow along the river, their leaves are used for medicine. They bring life and they, they produce fruit every month. You know, I don't know if you know this, that's not what fruit trees do, right? That's like, that's a crazy, super abundant life. 
Jesus, this flow of blood and water coming out of his side, like it is mercy. And like, if you think about rivers, do they run up or down? Down. Like it's looking for the lowest place. Rivers look for the lowest place. Like this river of mercy, this river of mercy is flowing out of Jesus, looking for your lowest place. It's just like, what is it? Gosh, man, when I was, like years ago, like the lowest place in me was this place where I believed that the best that I could get out of life was convincing people, convincing myself that I was holy, that I was good. Because I believed that there was stuff in me, things that I had done, things that I had seen, things that I had cooperated with that made me unredeemable. There was stuff that I carried. Like, this is never gonna see the light of day. It's like this impact crater that like no one's getting near that. I carried in me hell. You carry in you hell. That's what that is. It's a place where we refuse to put God. We keep God out. That's what hell is. It's the lowest place. And man, like that's the only place that Jesus is interested in. Like he's so passionate about your heart. He's only interested in like that place in your heart where you're convinced that you're not lovable. Because he's like, it's, it's my job to convince you that you're lovable. He's like, I delight in dispelling the lie that you believe that like, there's parts of you that are irredeemable. Yeah, for other people, yeah, other people come on retreat, other people go to confession, they have these beautiful experiences. Other people, they can be saints, they can make their way, but like, I mean, I'm, I'm just shooting for purgatory. The, the, the river of mercy is looking for the lowest place. And, here, and here's also the truth. Like, yeah, we're, we're awesome and impressive in many ways. We've got a lot of gifts and talents represented in this room. But you know what? Like, that's not the place where you, can, where you hold mercy. The only place in your heart, the only kind of bowl that you have to collect what's flowing from that river. Like, it's going to be pouring out from right here, right? The river's pouring out from Jesus. The only thing you have to catch it is your sins, like the, the, the wounds, like the, the stuff that's been carved out of you, the brokenness, the wounds, the, the junk, like that's the only place, that's the only chalice you have. And we're like, but it's so ugly, it's so broken, it's, all, it's not a beautiful chalice. Who's seen uh, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? Some of us are cultured, that's very good. Okay. <laughs> There's a scene in the end of that movie. Oh my gosh, this is like a spoiler of spoilers. We're not going to see it. You should see it if you want to go to heaven. All right. <laughs> they're trying to pick, they're trying to find, there's this whole room filled with all these chalices. They're trying to find like the, the chalice of the king. And the guy picks this unbelievably beautiful chalice. And he's like, this is truly the, the cup of a king. And he drinks water from it, and all of a sudden he melts and turns into a zombie made of dust, and it's horrifying. I would run out of the room when I was like a little kid. I'd be like, oh, I can't watch this. Anyway, but then Indiana Jones comes in, he grabs like this very simple, humble wooden cup. He drinks out of it. My point is, like, our hearts aren't impressive. 
But he's fascinated by them. And he loves them and he's so desirous of them. The only thing you have to hold his mercy is your sin. The only thing you have. And you and I, when we come to these retreats, my God, this was me when I was your age, when I come to these retreats, I go into, you know, I go into confession and I'd like, I'd really be psyching myself up like, I'm really gonna do a good confession. Say the things. And then you get in there and like, you don't really say the things. You say things that are kind of like the things and use other words. We dance around it like, we hear it all the time as priests. Like the only route to the, to the only path to the healing is through brutal honesty. That's the, that's the only access he has because he's a gentleman, because he's so kind, because he's not going to force himself in. Like when we go to those confessionals and we like, when we're not honest, as honest as we should be, like, he doesn't get mad. His heart just breaks. Like, I think we think that when we sin, it's as if Jesus is just getting madder and madder. And his fist, he's just like, oh, are you just coming up? The truth is this, that, like, as we sin, as we keep walking down this path of, like, uh, just choosing ourselves, choosing woundedness, all this stuff, the, the reservoir of mercy in Jesus' heart, is, it's like filling up. It's getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And like to the point where like it pains him. Like he wants to expel it. He wants to pour it out. You do him such a service. You console the heart of Jesus when you give him a place for his mercy to go. He loves when you're honest. He loves when you're honest. To stand with Mary at the foot of the cross is to stand in that posture of receptivity. Like, I want to receive, Jesus, what you died to give me, which is your heart. I'm going to end with this. Probably should have started with this, but we're going to end with this. The, the word mercy, who knows where the word mercy comes from in the Latin? What's the word for mercy in Latin? Come on, nerds, you're out there. Misericordiae. Misericordiae. Comes, it's a compound word. Miseria. Misery and core, heart. Mercy, misericordia is a heart given to misery. Guys, that's how this works. I've, I've tasted it in my life. Like every time you think he's gonna give me punishment, he's gonna give me condemnation. If I give him my misery, if I give him all that brokenness, the only thing he's gonna do is he's gonna give you his heart. That's the economic exchange between heaven and earth. You give him your misery, he gives you his heart. More misery, more heart, every time. Mary teaches us this. She brings us to the cross, begging us to receive the gift. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen, Mother. Oh. You stand at the cross, the mother of sorrows, the mother of mercy, the mother of the church, the mother of the faithful, the mother of every believer, and our mother. And we beg of you to pray for us right now, that we would have hearts that are vulnerable and open and honest, humble, docile, that would like you, that we would be open to receive the gift 
only gift that flows from the cross, which is mercy. Jesus, you look at us and you say, I thirst. Your thirst is for our hearts, not our moral behavior, not our getting our act together. You thirst quite simply for our hearts. And Jesus, we give them to you tonight as poor and as little and as wounded and as broken as they are. And we pray together, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen.